listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Heights Baptist Church in Alvin, Texas. For more information about our church, you can find us at heightschurch.org. Amen. If you've got a Bible with you or maybe a, a phone that's got a Bible app, let's go to 1 John this morning. First John, we're going to begin a series through First John. We're just going to kind of be plugging through First John over the next seven, eight weeks, line by line. Uh, I like going through books of the Bible, and, uh, and so we're going to be moving through First John. We're going to title this series, Prove It, uh, because what John writes about is really answering the question, how do you know you're saved? How do you know you're really a believer in Jesus Christ? And I, I think this is a, a great question that all of us need to ask because we need to get this question right. Uh, because the danger for a lot of us, being in America, being in the South, being what we call in the Bible Belt, is that for some folks, Christianity is just this cultural activity that we do. Maybe you were raised in church, this is what you do, you've fallen in the habit and the rhythm of just being here, but there's no real relationship, there's no fellowship to Christ. And so, so John, as he walks us through over the next seven or eight weeks in this book, is really kind of pushing back on that cultural Christianity part and saying, here's what it looks like to follow Christ. And I love what John says in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13, because here is kind of the thesis statement for the whole book of what John's after. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. All right, so John's saying, I'm writing this so that you may know you have eternal life. And so that's why we're kind of calling this series, Prove It. You say that you're a believer, okay, show it. And so throughout the letter, John really gives you three tests. Now, I know when I said test, all our teachers just cringed and they thought, I don't want to give a test, nor do I want to grade a test. And all the kids really just buried their heads and they were like, hey, we don't want any test either. It's summer break, right? I think, teachers, you guys had a good week off. It's time to go back, all right? Yeah, amen. I'm ready anytime, teacher. All right, but, but John's going to outline three tests. He's first going to say there's a doctrinal test. All right, so the doctrinal test that John's going to give us through this letter is saying, all right, do what you say you believe. Does it match with the Scriptures? Does what you say you believe match with the Scriptures? Because we're a culture right now that puts our experience as our litmus test for truth. Whereas we need to say, no, the Bible is our litmus test for truth, not our experience. If your experience doesn't match with what Scripture says, you've got to have an issue there. So John's going to give us a doctrinal test. Secondly, he's going to give you a relational test. Do you love other people as a believer in Christ? Do you only love certain groups of people? Is there racism in their heart? Is there hatred in your heart? Is there unforgiveness in your heart? If you have that, John's going to say, oh, that's a problem you've got to take care of. So he's going to give you a doctrinal test. He's going to give you a relational test. Finally, he's going to give you a moral test. The moral test, are you living out the Scriptures? Are you obeying the Word of God? And so when we come to the first four verses, which is really the prologue to the letter, John gives us a doctrinal test here, and he's showing us the reality of Jesus, asking the, really the question, was Jesus a real person? So let's pick up in verses 1 through 4, and I'm going to read 
All four verses there, and then we're going to start moving through line by line. John writes, that which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we looked upon, we've touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest. We've seen it, testify to it, proclaim to you eternal life, which was with the Father, was made manifest to us. Verse 3 says, that which we've seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Now, when John starts off in verse 1, he says, that which is from the beginning. And your first question that should come to your mind when you're reading that is, who is the that? What does he mean by that? Is he pointing to a person when he says that? That which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and touched with our hands. Now, who's the that? No, John's saying it's Jesus. That who is from the beginning. Christ who is from the beginning. So John's starting us off and talking about Christ and showing us the reality of Jesus, that Jesus was once always eternally existed. That Christ so show, is seen in the Bible as one who always was. That Jesus didn't have a point in time in which he began. Jesus was always there. John writes it in his gospel this way in John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So Jesus was before the beginning. He always was. Now this part of understanding who Jesus is, is going to separate us from other groups. Okay, so you'll, you'll have Mormons, you have Jehovah's Witness, you have Muslims who say, no, 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 Jesus had a beginning. Jesus was created. Jesus was an eternal. Historical Christianity, the Bible would tell us, no, Jesus always was. He wasn't created. Now, John shows you there was a time this eternal Christ, the Word, became flesh. The Word, at one point, this Jesus did enter into time. Look in verse 2 when he said the life was made manifest. And we've seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life. Again, going back to John 1 and verse 14 in John's gospel, he says this. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen His glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So John in the beginning, as he's showing us the reality of Jesus, is saying this eternal Word, at one point in time in history, became flesh and walked in time, was here. I like to think of it this way. When you start explaining and kind of wrapping your mind around the incarnation of Jesus, that, that God wrapped himself in human flesh. That when Christ was here, he was 100% God. He was 100% man. He wasn't half God, half man. That God entered into our time and space. Now John goes on, and I know you read it already in verse 2. But he said, this Jesus, this one who always was from the beginning, came into our world, came into our time, came into our space. And notice what he says. We've seen him. Verse 2, we've testified of him. 
we proclaim to you eternal life? You know, I, I got to thinking this past week, there's a lot of movies about time travel, isn't it? And time travel would be really cool if it existed. And for a moment, think, just think to yourself, where would you want to go in time? You know, what, what point of history would you want to go back to? Maybe a person you'd want to meet, an event you'd want to see, and, and, and just think about that. All right, so the key to time travel is what? You've got to figure out how to get back. So I thought about, all right, here's some ways we could do that. You could hop in a DeLorean and get it up to 88 miles per hour, if it'll go that fast, as many of you know DeLoreans, and, and, and we go back in time, right? That's back to the future. You could join the Avengers right there, bottom left, and you could travel back in time with the Avengers. You could find a magic lamp and, and you know, rub it three times, and out pops a blue Will Smith as a genie, and he gives you three wishes, and you say, all right, I, I want to travel back in time. So let's do that. Let's hop in the DeLorean, or maybe let's join the Avengers, or let's have Will Smith grant our wish, and let's go back to the days of Jesus for a moment. Let's travel back there. Now join with me on the side of the mountain. And we're in the crowd just like this, and there's Jesus teaching. And I mean, he's given the greatest sermon ever preached on this earth. What we call the Sermon on the Mount. You find it in Matthew chapters 5 and 7. And man, you don't look at your watch one time because Jesus is preaching, right? You don't think it's lunchtime, I got to get out of here, the Astros are playing later. I mean, we're right there listening to Jesus. All right, let's go to another spot in history. How about this time, let's go to the grave of Lazarus. Many of you have heard of Lazarus. He passed away, he had his sister Mary and Martha. And we show up to the funeral. And there's Mary and Martha weeping and crying along with the friends. And, and we're standing there as bystanders watching. And then all of a sudden, here walks up Jesus. Now, you've got to understand something about Jesus and funerals. Every funeral Jesus shows up to in the Bible, guess what? It turns into a party. Okay? And here's Jesus. And Mary and Martha are weeping. He starts to weep. And he says, don't worry, i got this. And he says, hey, roll away that stone. And he gives out a loud shout, Lazarus, come forth. And the man that had been dead three days later just walks out of that grave. Can you see it? Man, let, let's travel a little bit further with Jesus. How about, how about this time we're in a boat? And we're in a boat with the disciples. And it's a storm. And it's a big storm. And I mean, the boat's taking on water. We're joining in with the disciples in the pail buckets. And we're just throwing water out left and right. Jesus wakes up from a nap and he says, you know what? Peace be still. And the wind that was beating and howling stops. The waves that were crashing over the side of the boat, it's just still and calm. How about let's go to the cross next. We're there in the crowd. Standing beside John. Standing with his mother Mary. Standing with his friend Martha. And you and I are weeping just like they are seeing Jesus being crucified. Seeing Jesus taking that beating. Seeing Jesus breathe his last breath. And our final stop back in time is three days later. And we're standing there with the disciples in a room. And we're wondering just like they did what happened. We're trying to console them as they're consoling us. Trying to process everything we took in and then walks in Jesus. And what's your reaction? Just what their reaction would be. Is this a ghost? 
And Jesus says, I'm not a ghost, I'm not a spirit, I'm not a figure of your imagination. I'll tell you what, I'm a little hungry, give me some lunch, let's eat fish together. How about you take your hand and you put it right there where they drove those spikes in mine? How about you take your hand and put it right there in my side where they drove that spear in my side? See, you and I, we'd have to imagine all that, wouldn't we? But you know what John says? John says, I've seen it. I was there. I talked to him. I heard him. I walked with him. I experienced it. And so John in verse 2 is saying, I saw all those things. This is what I've seen. I testify to you the eternal life that Christ Jesus gives that was made manifest to us. And notice what he says in verse 3. He says, that which we've seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. You finally, in verse 3, get to the main verb of the text. And the word in the verb there is proclamation, or your translation may say declaration. John's saying everything we've seen, everything we've heard, everything I've experienced with Jesus, now I'm proclaiming to you. I'm declaring to you. I stopped and thought about it this week, uh, this way this week. Do you know we are a people of proclamation? This comes naturally to us, right? The reality you experience... Whether it's a good reality or a bad reality, you proclaim to someone else. Do you realize that? I mean, it just comes natural as day to us. What you experience, good or bad, that reality you proclaim. Hey, I just watched the best show on Netflix. You need to put it in your queue. Man, I ate at the worst restaurant. Don't eat there. Yeah. This book I just read, great. Download it on your Kindle. Yeah. I mean, isn't that stuff we do naturally every day? You post thoughts. You post events. You post pictures. You make declarations on social media all week long. Why? Because within us, we are natural proclaimers. We share our reality we've experienced, whether good or bad. We share that with people. And so John says, look, I've experienced Christ. He's real, and I'm just proclaiming it to you. And here's three reasons why John proclaims Jesus to us, and it's right there in the text. The first reason that John proclaims the reality of Christ to us, where to proclaim the reality of Christ to others, is because in verse 3 it says, so that you too may have fellowship with us. So you proclaim the reality of Jesus so others may have fellowship with us us. Now the word fellowship right there, it's a a Greek word called koinonia, and in that word it means to have kind of a relationship. When we fellowship with each other, it means there's something we share in common that's of value and of importance. So when you have fellowship with someone, you you may share same goals, same direction, same values, same beliefs. And so John's saying, we proclaim Christ to you so you may have fellowship with us. So the question you and I need to ask is this. Who do we invite into fellowship? Who are we to invite as believers in Jesus Christ into our fellowship? I know of a church that's personal to me, back home, that this church was in a neighborhood. 
Now, when I say in a neighborhood, I mean smack dab in the middle of a neighborhood. So in your mind, to help you understand this, go to one of the new subdivisions being built down Highway 6 and imagine a church sitting right in the middle of it. That's where this church was, right in the middle of a subdivision, right in the middle of a neighborhood that got built up around it. This church, over time, made a conscious decision not to reach the neighborhood. You know why? Because some of you are thinking that. Well, why in the world would they do that? That's kind of silly. Well, this was a white church. This was a church surrounded by people of different ethnic groups. This was a church surrounded in a neighborhood that um, it was a lower poverty, lower income level neighborhood. This was a transient neighborhood. People didn't stay very long. So over the course of the time of this church, the leadership and the membership made a decision We will not reach the people sitting right around us because we don't like the color of their skin, because their economic level doesn't match ours, and because they probably won't stay there very long anyway. You know where that church is now? Closed. Who do we invite into our fellowship? Here's my simple answer. Anyone. (laughs) anyone. You have breath? You need Jesus? You're welcome here. I think that's a pretty good litmus test, right? You're breathing? You need Jesus? You got it. Come on. Love to have you. John says, we don't exclude people in this fellowship. We declare Christ. We make Christ known because all people are welcome into the fellowship with Jesus. You know, in the Gospels, you see this all the time played out by Jesus. And it's the religious people that have a hard time with Christ and who he hangs out with. Do you ever notice that? Luke 15, setting of Luke 15, right in the beginning, it's Jesus who is eating with tax collectors and sinners. And who's the group mad at him? It's the Pharisees, it's the churchgoers. It's the guys at the temple praying and tithing and working, you know, in the kids area and all those various things they did in the temple. It's those people. Why? Why are you hanging out with sinners, Jesus? Why are you hanging out with tax collectors? We don't like them. Jesus is like, look, I came to die for them and I came to die for you. They need me. You need me. They realize they need me more than you realize you need me, right? So Jesus says, look, you just come in. You come into the fellowship. John in verse 3 does not exclude anyone, and therefore we're not to exclude anyone. And here's what I love also about verse 3. When John says, we proclaim to you Jesus so that you may have fellowship with us, he's speaking to us as a church because it's Christ that puts us in fellowship with one another. So I'm sorry to say, if you don't like someone in the section to my left, and you're sitting over here in the section to my right, you're doing heaven together, so maybe you need to, you know, bury the hatchet. Okay, that was a joke. It's okay. (laughs) Breathe in this portion of the sermon. But it's Christ that bonds us together as a spiritual family, so that means in reality we're all brothers and sisters in Jesus. 
We have brothers and sisters in China today. We have brothers and sisters in Africa today. We have brothers and sisters in Canada today and South America today and all around our world. Whoever claims to know Jesus, we're in fellowship with each other. But you notice something else that's really neat to me? John, when he speaks of fellowship, he's saying, you have fellowship with us too. The apostles, the disciples. For those of us that wrote this book and lived this book, you're in fellowship with us. Why? Because you named Christ as your Savior. So we declare Jesus to others so that they may have fellowship with us. Notice number two, the outcome of declaration not only is fellowship with us, but but also that they may have fellowship with God. So we declare to you so that you may have fellowship with us. Verse 3 says, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. So what you and I do is we make a declaration of Jesus. We invite people to hear the word of God. We invite people to come into our fellowship so that they may come to know Christ. So that when they come to know Christ in a relationship, now they have a relationship with God. Now they have a relationship with their creator. And so when you think about declaration, when you think about inviting people in, we invite them in so they hear the word, so that they will now become believers in Jesus and have a relationship and a fellowship with God. Remember this verse, some of you probably known it from childhood, maybe it's going to be a new verse to you and, and that's totally okay, but remember this, Romans ten seventeen. so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. How does faith come? Through what? Say it, crowd. Hearing. Hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. Or your translation, or maybe the way you remembered it in the King James like I grew up, through the word of God. Now some of you think, well, wait a minute. Inviting people to services, that doesn't work. Sharing my faith, that doesn't work. I tried that, been there, done that. Well, you know what? The first time you cast your pole out in the lake and put your bait on the hook, it doesn't always bite a fish, right? But you know what I've learned about being a bad fisherman? The more you keep fishing, you're going to catch something. Might not be the type of fish you're after, but you're going to catch something the more you fish. The more you invite folks, the more you share Jesus, you're going to eventually uh, see them come to know Christ. You're going to essentially have them come into the church. And what we want to do is just be people who say, hey, come. We preach the word of God here. You know, our, our pastor sometimes goes a little longer than what we like, but we, we preach the word of God here. Come on, come hear the word, because faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of God. I love this quote by Martin Luther. He says this, The Bible is like a caged lion. If someone doesn't believe the lion is real, don't stand there and defend the lion. Open the cage. Stand there and defend the lion? They don't believe the lion's real? Open the cage. Open the Word of God. Share the Word of God. Invite them into where we share the Word of God each week. And so we see the three steps of declaration, the three outcomes. One, they have fellowship with us. Second, they have fellowship with God. And notice verse 4, we declare the reality of Jesus so that your joy may be complete. So that your joy may be complete. I love what John writes in verse 4. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Now, my translation said our, your translation may say your, but understand it's the same thing. It's really almost the same word in Greek. Because as ones who have fellowship with each other, as a spiritual family, your joy is my joy. My joy is your joy. We weep together, we rejoice together. 
And so John says, we proclaim the reality of Jesus so that your joy may be complete. And understand that, that Jesus wants you to have complete joy this morning in your life. Listen to what he says in John 15, 11. Jesus says, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Listen again in John 16, 24. Jesus says this, Until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you receive that your joy may be full. Isn't that encouraging? That Jesus says sometimes you don't have joy in your life because you're not asking for it. But my job, Jesus says, is I want you to have joy. To have complete joy in me. Now, how do you have joy in Christ? What has John been harping on in this text? There's one word that has continued to come up over and over and over again. It's actually used several times in the first nine verses. It's used four times in the first nine verses of this letter, and then it disappears. And it's this word, this, fellowship. Understand this. You can have a relationship with Jesus, but no fellowship. When you have fellowship with Jesus, you have joy. There's many people who have a relationship, but no fellowship. I mean, understand this point, because you need to harbor this home. You can be related to somebody, not talk to them. You can be related to somebody and never see them. Be related to somebody and not hang out with them. See, a relationship and a fellowship, it's different. Yes, God wants a relationship with you, but in that relationship that you are to have with Jesus, you're to have fellowship. Spend time with Him. Talk to Him. Allow Him to talk into you. So you think, all right, how do I have fellowship with Jesus? I'm not like John. I, I can't see Him. I can't touch Him. I can't hear from Him. Here's how you have fellowship with Christ. And, and I don't mean to oversimplify this, but it's not that hard. You have fellowship with Jesus by reading your Bible. It's by reading your Bible. And I know some of you, when I say that, you're already thinking, there's no way I got time to read my Bible. How many 30-minute television shows did you watch this week? I know you don't have time to read your Bible, but when Netflix show ended and the next one said it's going to start in five seconds, you just ran right onto that one, right? How many seasons did you binge watch of your favorite show? How many games of sports did you watch? See, I don't mean to be mean. I don't mean to be harping on you and all that. But look, just cut the excuses out. You and I have got time to read our Bible. You've got 10 minutes, don't you? You've got 15 minutes. Maybe you've got half an hour. You know, I can read two, two passages of Scripture, two chapters of Scripture in about 15 minutes. And I don't say that to brag. I'm a slow reader. I really am. I read a lot, but I'm slow. I'm a very, very slow reader. It'll take me over a month to read a, an average-sized book where my wife can put it down in a day, right? So if you're like me and you're a slow reader, you think, man, there's no way I got time to read the Bible. 15 minutes, all right? You can clear two chapters of Scripture in 15 minutes. Now, you might think, all right, where do I start in reading this Bible? Because there's 66 books in this thing, and that, that's kind of intimidating. If you're not in the pattern of reading your Bible, do this this week. Start in a gospel. 
Start Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I suggest Mark to you. It's a, it's a fast-paced gospel. It's short, 16 chapters. Not a lot of long teaching in there. A lot of action, okay? So it kind of reads like your Twitter feed. All right, so start Mark. Yeah. Or maybe start First John. Look, we're going to be in First John through the summer. Start reading ahead. You might think, man, that's only got five chapters in it. You keep reading First John over the next two months, and you're going to get it. All right, you're going to understand it. So read your Bible. Spend time and read your Bible. You know why that's so important? It's because God says, here's how I talk to you right here through this word. This word is how God talks to you and me. God says, you want to know about me? Pick this book up. You want to know how you live? Pick this book up. You want to know what you need to think, what you need to do, how you need to act? Pick this book up. I've told you. All right, I wrote it down for you. So God talks to us through his word. How we spend time with him is through his word, but also through prayer. So, so develop a habit of prayer. See, I like to think of it this way. God speaks to us through his word. We tell him what's on our heart and minds through prayer. Now, I know you probably think, well, I pray. I, I pray before my meals. I pray on down 288 every day for that traffic to part. You know, I pray for the person who cut me off. I pray for forgiveness for the person who cut me off and the things I said. I, I mean, you know, I, I pray for, you know, when I go to sleep, right? I, I pray all the time type of prayer I'm talking about is get alone with God. It's there again. Doesn't have to be long. Five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Turn the phone off. Turn the TV off. Turn the iPads off. Get alone. Get quiet. Talk to God. Allow him to talk to you in those moments of silence. Think about his word. Spend time with him. Learn to develop a pattern of lingering in the presence of God. Because that's how we have fellowship with them. And so John's saying, we proclaim this word to you so that you may have fellowship with us. You may have fellowship with Christ. And your joy may be complete. Now, in order to have that complete joy, you've got to now start walking that out and having fellowship with Jesus. So let me ask you this. Is Jesus real? Is he real? Is Jesus real or is this all made up? It's all a fairy tale. All just imagined stuff John wrote down one day. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, every person will believe one of three things about Jesus Christ. Number one, he was a liar. He was not who he said he was and he knew it. He was a liar. Second, he was a lunatic. He was not who he said he was, and he didn't know it. Or third, he's Lord. He was who he said he was, and his life, his death, and his resurrection proved it. Is Jesus real to you? And if you say, yes, he's real, then what difference is that making in your life right now? Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Heights Baptist Church in Alvin, Texas. On Sunday mornings, we have life groups for all ages at 9 a.m., followed by worship service at 10.30 a.m. For more information about how to support the ministry of Heights Baptist Church, go to heightschurch.org slash give.